Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and our soon coming King. This is going to be part three on a section called hermeneutics. And the first section, we talked about the translations of the Bible, and we gave a recommendation that uh, you would look at a literal translation of the Bible using the earliest manuscripts. And I recommended the New American Standard Version or the English Standard Version for you to use, or just to have a copy of that in your study of God's Word. The second section that we looked at was understanding that biblical teaching, biblical theology should create our systematic theology and not the other way around. Part of that is not worrying about chapter verse divisions, but really allowing the flow of thought uh, to come forth as you study the Word of God. Do not isolate sentences and chapters, but get into the Word of God. If you're studying Isaiah, I recommend to you go through all 66 chapters. Understanding that those chapters did not exist, those verses did not exist in the original, you're dealing with about 60 years of prophetic ministry in the life of Isaiah. So pick it up from the beginning, go to the end, see how powerful it is, and then you go back and go through it again and know what God said to Isaiah, to the nation of Israel, to the nation of Judah. Know what he said through his life to them, and then you can understand what it means for you today. Uh, Samuel, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here back again for part three. Yes. And while I'm over here talking, Samuel's over there dancing a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's just how excited I am. You that's know? right. Just pumped to be here as so I'm dancing. <laughs> yes. I'm 53. Yeah. He's 23. We both love the Lord coming from different generations. Both of us have a love for God's Word and a desire to see God's Word preached and taught in a way that it changes people's lives. Mm -hmm. And we're going to hit a third section here on hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. Just simply, how do we look at God's Word and how do we understand it? Today I'm going to deal with a few other things and then we'll we're going to go beyond hermeneutics and we're going to start getting into God's Word. But this is very important, what we're studying right now. I used to tell my son, when you go to Bible college, uh, you probably won't study a lot of the Bible. You'll get a lot of practical ministry, a lot of theology. But I told him, what you need to know is to know God's Word, have good hermeneutics, and to know church history. And if you can do those three things, you're going to you're going to be really prepared to minister God's Word. And unfortunately, in a lot of colleges today, they do everything to pull you away from that. But yeah. that's the essence. So, Samuel, today I want to talk another aspect of hermeneutics, and it's called word theologies. Okay. Word and sentence theologies. Samuel, if you were picking up a book, what's your favorite genre? 
that you like uh, to read? That would be a tough one. I because I think like nonfiction generally. Okay. Um, but usually, like the books that I read, they they have to have some kind of purpose. I really like information, so right. um, just books that you know tell you something like history books right. are fun to read. Uh, Hopefully you don't read historical fiction. No, okay. no. Historical fiction is the worst. If anyone likes historical fiction out there, I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's the worst. <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, you cannot improve on real history. <laughs> history already happened. They're, they're facts. You don't, you don't change facts. It doesn't get any better. Right. So. All right, say you're reading a book, or it's just say a newspaper, and mm-hmm. you're reading a long article. Do you stop every few seconds and take a word that you're reading and you all of a sudden say, now what is the root of this word? And what does this word actually mean? And by studying the definition of this word isolated on its own, I'm going to go and uh, study that so that I can understand this article. Hmm. Do you do that? that? I I don't. I think most people don't do that. You know, especially if it's if it's something that you read in your native language and it's just something novel. You know, that thought I don't think even crosses your mind. You're just reading it, and you're understanding it as a whole text as you're reading it as you're going along. Right. Now there and, may be uh, a word you don't understand, and you right. may look it up, mm-hmm. but really you'll get the essence of what that word means by what. By, I guess, the scope of mm-hmm. the text, by the, the, the entirety yes. of it. The context or mm-hmm. the flow of thought. Mm-hmm. Now, those articles do not have the chapter and verse divisions. Right. All right. You see what I, I'm building right. upon here. Yeah. So have you ever been in a Bible study where they say, we spent a whole month on two verses and how deep it was? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. And I uh, have to go ahead. I was just going to say that also makes me think of high school literature when your teacher zeroes in on one sentence of a poem and right. tells you to write a five to ten page paper on it. And you're thinking, this is impossible. Right. How can you write five to ten pages on one line of poetry? Right. But people find a way. Yes. They find a way to ex- expound upon something so small. Yeah, it's a it's a art. It's an yeah. art to be yeah. able to do that. Um, word theology, sentence theologies, Bible studies, where you spend three months on one chapter, mm-hmm. is actually not allowing the word of God to flow naturally. With any other piece of literature, we do not do that to understand what the author is saying. Now, I've had people say, well, this is the Bible. It's different. However, the Bible is meant to be written. It was written that we might know what God is saying through that individual to whom he's writing. And when we isolate words and we take the root words to try to understand what that word means, then we're... We're creating word study fallacies, it's called. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we end up changing uh, the meaning of what actually is 
being said because you hear this all the time. Well, this word actually means this in the Hebrew or in the Greek or in the Aramaic, and the root word is this. How do we understand that word by the context? Right. right. And every word can be redefined by the context. Mm-hmm. You know, I can give you example after example. We There's a whole Bible school based mm-hmm. upon Rhema, you know, because they took the Rhema. Rhema School of uh, Ministry. Yes. I think it's called. Know someone that graduated from there. Yes. They, re- they can really get messed up there. Yeah. That's part of the Word of Faith systematic theology. Yeah. yeah. All right. And so they they isolated a word and defined a word on itself and says that this means the spoken word. But when you... When you see uh, logos versus rhema, they're used interchangeably mm. throughout Scripture. But they isolated a word, and in certain contexts, the spoken word, and then they took it out unnaturally to mean something and created a theology over that. And so we don't want to do that. Every word can be redefined depending upon the context. Paul writing about women and the role of women, and he says, and your salvation is in the raising of your children. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought we were saved by the grace of God through faith, but the context there is not talking about a salvation from our sin and being our sin being uh, cleansed and forgiven, Mm -hmm. that type of salvation, but it's talking about in the context about the focus of ladies, not to be an authority over men, but their focus, their preservation is in their children, their family. So the context will define what the word means, and every single word can be redefined depending upon, depending upon the context. What is important is to read it and allow the flow of thought. So if we're getting stuck on two sentences for a month and thinking that that is deep, we're actually doing the opposite of how the Word of God is to be read. You're supposed to read it to understand it. The words are not to be isolated. They're to be understood within the flow of thought, within the context. Hopefully you understand what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. Again, Mm -hmm. if you read Galatians, read it from beginning to the end, go through it. Don't be stuck for a month on a few sentences. But read it through. Get the flow of thought. What is God saying through Shaul, through Paul, to the uh, Gentile believers in the region of Galatia? What is the context? What is being said? Read it through. Read it through a, a second time, a third time. Understand what God is saying at that time. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I really think it's really helpful to hear the, the metaphor, or I guess the parable that you're talking about reading an article or just reading a book that you like to read, just something that you would do in your personal life, nobody is going to actually be able to derive a summary of the book based on one word. Right. Nobody's going to be able to derive the meaning of the whole book based on one word. And so you can't expect the same from the Bible, which is also a book, that, that you can focus on just one word and actually get the original meaning, the original intent of the author. Right. You don't isolate it. Mm -hmm. Understand it within its context. I'm going to read, uh, because I want to make sure I quoted this correctly Mm -hmm. here in 1 Timothy about the word salvation. It says here, 
A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now, I'm not trying to get on a teaching about role distinctions. What I'm trying Mm -hmm. to look at, at the word saved here. If we took the word saved here and looked at the root word and we uh, isolate it by itself, then we would be in a totally different context of what Paul is saying to Timothy about the role of women. So actually in the New American Standard here, they translate it preserved here. And literally it is saved here, but that's the meaning here, that they are preserved, they are saved through the bearing of children. Their focus in life is not to rule over men, but it's in their children and focusing on their family. So that's how that word, how is that word saved, translated here, or understood through the flow of thought, through the context? Wait, so like, you just focus on that one word and you read that and it says, women can only be saved if they bear children. Yes. But... In that context, that's not what that passage is saying. Exactly. It's not saying that there's a different standard for women in salvation that there is for men. Men, it's by faith, you know, right. through grace. But women have to have children. That's not what that passage is saying. But if you were to focus just on that one word right. and that it's the same salvation word used elsewhere in the Bible... When talking about salvation, you would think right. that that concludes that. Yes, I've actually had people come up and ask me that question. Mm. They didn't understand that because they were trying to understand the, that word saved and how are women saved through bearing of children. And I mm. said, well, what is Paul talking about here? What is the context? What is the flow of thought? So in hermeneutics, knowing the flow of thought Every word is defined by the context and not isolating that and not isolating sentences. Mm -hmm. And that's where we really have a problem in isolating sentences outside Mm -hmm. of its flow of thought and context. And we're preaching messages on sentences, but not understanding the flow of thought. So it's really important, not only it's really important to a not get stuck on individual words. I was in a Bible study recently where they're constantly going back to the Hebrew and to the Greek. This is what this really means. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting, they were in the New Covenant saying this is what it says in the Hebrew. And, you know, the New Covenant is written in in Greek. Greek. So, but people did not even recognize what was going on. But the flow of thought defines the words. And the word can be redefined at any time depending on the context. Now, I'm going to talk about a second area of context, and that's the historical and cultural background. So you have the flow of thought is so important of understanding the flow of thought for the context, but also the world behind the Bible. Mm -hmm. Understanding culturally what things, what is happening. Uh, Right now, an example is coming to me 
just on the top of my head, that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. How would we understand that here in America normally? What, how, how would <laughs> Where we there understand? are no candles. Sorry, candles. There are no camels. There's not any camels. Some in zoos. You know, there's zoos and we got some petting zoos where you can interact with camels, but, you know, that would not make any sense to the average American. And how do most people understand the eye of a needle here in in the West? I think the eye of a needle, to me, I think about uh, that really, really small hole you know, on the end of the needle when, you know, old school sewing things back together or hemming up, you know, pants or something. My right. grandmother used to do that a lot, and it would take you like 10 to 15 minutes to try to get that thread through right. the little hole because it's so tiny. Yes. That's what mm-hmm. I, growing up, I thought about that passage. Mm-hmm. As you began to understand the historical and cultural background, you understand the eye of a needle, and I've actually, if you come to Israel and Jerusalem, there's actually an eye of, of the needle mm-hmm. in a gate. It's actually a military uh, checkpoint Oh, that when the gates are closed and you come late, they're not going to open up the gates. You cannot open up the gates. That could be trickery. There could be an invasion that takes right. place. So they have a real small opening called the eye of a needle. that you have to squeeze through to come into the city, and there are people there to check you in to make sure, you know, that you can come in. But animals cannot come in. A camel could not squeeze through the eye of a needle. And it's incredible. When people come to Jerusalem, I always take them to this one gate that has the eye of of the needle, and you have to squeeze through it, and they get the understanding it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is virtually impossible, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you can visualize it. So as you understand the history and the culture behind that, then you can visualize it better, and the Word of God becomes more alive to you. Like where Jesus is speaking, saying those very words, there could have been people who have gone through that eye of right. the needle. And they, having passed through that, would know exactly what he's saying. Right. So part of knowing the, the context is knowing the historical and cultural and, and literary background of that day. Hmm. And that's very, very legitimate. Pharisees, take the Sadducees. Mm-hmm. The Sadducees, the priests, did not believe from Joshua to Malachi or even beyond that, as the Word of God. They only believed in the Torah, the mm-hmm. Pentateuch, as the Word of God. So when Jesus goes and ministers to them, if you know their background, they do not believe in the afterlife. They do not believe so much in miracles, in angels, the supernatural, anything like that. They only take the first five books of the Bible, and so they believe once that you die then that's it. Because there's not a lot about the resurrection in the law. Mm -hmm. But when Jesus deals with them, he has to go to the law in order to preach the resurrection to them. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they don't accept that. 
And when you know that, then this becomes more powerful. When they're asking about the resurrection, Jesus says, don't you know that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And how powerful that is. Because Mm. even after Abraham is dead, Isaac is dead, Jacob, Israel is dead, he's still referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the the dead, but the God of the living. And so knowing that, you appreciate so much the background of what Jesus is doing uh, with the Sadducees and how powerful it is that he's speaking truth from the law of Moses Mm -hmm. about the resurrection. Yeah. And I can go on and on about knowing the historical background of the time frame. And it kind of like... It helps you to see that Jesus, having not gone to school, he wasn't, he wasn't a Pharisee. And so he wasn't part of the Jewish population that had gone to train and learn extensively about uh, the religious historical right. documents and everything. And so see, like having him say that, and those type of things, and know those kind of things, and, and then like say that to the Pharisees and people that also knew those things, it was kind of, it's, it gives you an appreciation of the massive amount of wisdom and even bravery that it took for him to be able to say what he did at that, that point in time, right. and how it, you kind of get how people around him, when they saw him say that and heard the things they say, like, where did this man get this kind of teaching? Where did he get this kind of wisdom? Because that stuff's reserved for the Pharisees, reserved for the scribes, reserved for the people that know the historical context, that know the background of Judaism. And where did he get this? Right. And when you study the background, say you're mentioning the Pharisees there, Mm -hmm. if you're studying the oral law, and knowing the house of Hillel and the house of Shammai and the two oral laws that they had, and know that when Jesus is coming against the Pharisaic movement, he is not attacking the law or breaking the law. He is attacking the oral law. Mm-hmm. See, knowing that they had a oral tradition that was on the same level as Scripture, Jesus never broke the law. So when you go to Matthew 15, mm-hmm. The traditions of the elders is what he's attacking. But people mistakenly say that he's breaking the law. Jesus never broke the law, nor did he ever teach people to break the law. But what he is doing in Matthew 15, if if he had broken the law or taught people to uh, break the law, he would not be the perfect Lamb of God, the fulfillment of the law. He Mm -hmm. couldn't fulfill the law. But what he's doing in Matthew 15, he is attacking the oral law, the tradition of the elders that said, if you do not wash your hands before you eat, then you're Mm -hmm. spiritually defiled. Right. See, that's not in the law. Right, right. So knowing the background makes the word of God come alive in such an incredible way. You say, Mm -hmm. wow, I get it. I understand it. I understand the Pharisaic movement. I understand that they technically keep the law but they break the spirit of the law right and uh by understanding the pharisaic movement and their oral traditions now one last thing because i said this would be short Mm -hmm. 
Everything that we're doing in hermeneutics is to get to original intent. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be guilty of putting words into the mouth of God. Right. I don't want to say, well, this is what God is saying, and that's not what God is saying in, in the Word of God. Everybody wants to be a teacher, but did you know that there's a stricter judgment on those who teach? And yeah. you can go in Jacob. Uh, I have to, James. You have to go into James. <laughs> Jacob is his Hebrew name. Oh. And um, go and see how there is a stricter judgment for those who teach. So if you're going right. to teach the Word of God, whether it's to a child, a young person, elderly, to a congregation, to the body of the Messiah, you need to make sure that you're getting original intent of scriptures. Right. Because you don't want to be preaching Scott. It's not your word. It's not, those aren't your words. Yes. Those are somebody else's. This is what God is saying. Mm-hmm. And God's word never returns void. So original intent is the goal of everything that we do. Most people come into study of God's word. What does this mean to me? Mm-hmm. This is the first question that they ask. And if you ask that as the first question, you'll never really get to original intent. You first have to ask, what it meant is what it means to me. So okay. I've got to study. If I'm studying Jeremiah, I've got to know the historical background, the cultural background, the literary background. I've got to know the flow of thought so that I understand what it meant And then once Mm -hmm. I know what it meant and what were the principles that God was saying through Jeremiah, then the last step I can look at how Mm -hmm. that what that means to me and how that applies to my life. You can't just pull out every good and perfect gift is from our Father in heaven above and say that you know well that means in my life like all the good things that I'm going to get are from God. God's God's just going to give me good things or you know Jeremiah Mm twenty nine eleven I think was. He, for the Lord knows the plans He has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, yes. and for welfare. You, you read that out of context, and it's such an anthem for you to say, "Oh man, God just wants me to have a good life. Like He just wants good yes. things for me in my life." And then you read the whole book of Jeremiah, and you're like, "There's so many terrible things." that were going on for the Jews at that time, and it was part of God's plan. Yes. Take those two passages, sentences that you quoted, one Mm -hmm. from Jacob, James, one from Jeremiah. In Jacob, they're going through huge tribulation. They've lost everything, Mm. but they've got to recognize that every good gift comes from the Father above. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah 29 that you quoted What they're praying for, God is saying, no, Mm -hmm. you're not going back. You're going to stay in this city, and you are going to live here. And in 70 years, I'll bring back a remnant. Mm -hmm. See, most of them will die out before that 70 years. So what they're praying for, God is saying, no, but pray for the city in which you're living in because Mm -hmm. the welfare of that city will be your welfare. And God is saying, no, you're not going back. I'm not answering your prayer the way that you want it to be answered. Mm-hmm. You're going to stay here, but I've got a plan for you, plural. Right. For the Jewish people, yeah. I've got a plan for you. And in 70 years, I'm going to bring back a remnant. Right. 
You see, it, it goes completely different. We, we take that verse and say, oh, I'm going for a job promotion today. God's going to give it to me because right. this is what God, God is on my side. He wants me to prosper. He wants me to have a welfare. Right. And when they don't get the job promotion, they're upset with God. Well, God mm-hmm. never promised that. Right. It's an unconditional trust in God that God knows what he's doing. And God's sovereign plan is greater than my individual need. Mm-hmm or my individual want. Right. And so we have to trust God at all times because God is a faithful God. Right. So Samuel, getting to original intent, getting back to what it meant for what it means to me, these are some of the basic things of hermeneutics. A good translation, biblical teaching, bringing back our systematic theology, not relying on chapter-verse divisions, not isolating words, not isolating sentences. Allow the flow of thought within the text itself to define things. Historical background, cultural background, literary background, looking at the genre, these kind of things is very important for the overall context. But the whole goal is getting back to original intent with Scripture. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, and take God's word, preach it, teach it, apply it, and live God's word every day. And uh, you'll go in the right direction. And the spirit of God and the word of God will never disagree. Because you think of it, mm-hmm. the word of God is breathed of God. Right. It is a product of the Holy Spirit. So every day as you study God's word and being led by God's spirit, both of them will go in the same direction. So it's so important that we know God's Word. Do not rely on a message once a week that's a topical sermon to be your discipleship. Mm -hmm. Discipleship comes through God's Word. So get into God's Word. Know it. Apply it. Don't be a hearer of God's Word only, but be a doer of God's Word. And hide God's Word in your heart that you may not sin against him. He will keep you going in the right direction. Is that enough preaching? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. All right. Love you all. Hopefully this will be a blessing to your lives. We're going to go from hermeneutics and start jumping right into God's Word. Have a great day. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com. And connect with us on Instagram at Integrity underscore Global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.